Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. This week, we continue our conversation with Jacqueline DeGregorio. Jacqueline is a best-selling author, motivational speaker, podcast host, and life coach. In part one of the interview, she shared about her personal journey and the mindset tools she uses with her clients. This was released last week as episode 58, and we recommend you starting there before listening to part two of the interview this week. In this week's episode, we discuss concepts around identity, such as how our identities are created and how they are transformed. She also shares about the power of affirmations, the importance of an empowering money mindset, and the equation she created for courage. In 2020, she gave a TEDx talk about her courage equation, and we highly recommend checking it out. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. You can always find one area of your life that you're good at, one thing that you've been good at in your life, you're good at sports, you're good at the gym, you're good at what, like take that. What character traits does that require? What identity level does that success sort of need in order for you to have that success, right? And write them down and pretty much, I mean, it takes the same things in any area of life. We need confidence, we need courage, we need commitment to things, we need to be vulnerable, right? These are the same things in in any area of your life you wanna thrive in. Those are the keys, right? And so you can just take them and carry them with you and really embody that version of yourself that goes back to be you have being that version of you, the same confidence that you have at the gym you now have on that day, right? The same confidence you had in your relationship you bring into your business, it's the same thing. So I think that it can be a really beautiful thing. And I think that we have the ability to have an amazing life in all categories and I think it's a limiting belief for a lot of people you can't have it all I call BS on that and you know I remember growing up and my parents saying things like oh well if you have a lot of money you're not going to have a good family life really is that ultimately true and and pushing that belief and so again if you have that where I have success in one area of my life and not another is there a belief behind it right is there a belief that it's either or I believe in and in all things, I rarely ever try to say the word or, and I try to catch myself and say, okay, but can I have this and this? And of course, sometimes we have to make short-term trade-offs. Like, yeah, I did, you know, when I was starting my business in college, like I didn't go out on the weekends very much. I would work on my business. And that was a trade-off I made in the short term. 
But I don't think that the ends justifies the means. And this is something I'm passionate about. I think that in society, we're often taught, like, you should really, really, really struggle for this goal. And I think this goes back to the feeling thing because, okay, you're, you're miserable for, let's say you're trying to pay off all your debt. This is an example because I've recently been on this whole debt-free journey. I read Dave Ramsey and all these things. And, and I like a lot of different principles of that. But I don't like this whole idea of like struggle, 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 like you can never drink coffee out or you're never going to get to your end goal, right? You know, it's the same thing in often starting businesses. People like struggle, struggle, struggle until I sell my company and then I'll finally feel the way I want to feel or, you know, struggle, struggle, struggle in this career until I get this promotion or whatever it is. I don't believe that it has to be that way. And it's not to say that, again, there isn't hard work as a part of the pie, as I defined hard earlier. And it's not to say that you don't ever make trade-offs, but at the end of the day, the vision for your life, you can have both. What if you could save money and, and then this is the powerful thing that I would encourage you to do if you're listening to this and you feel like there's a trade-off in some area of your life or you're putting the trade-off there, ask yourself, what if I could have blank and blank? So what if I could save money and pay off my debt, for example? Well, when I asked myself that question, the answer was, oh, I can, I just, I need to make more money. So then the question is, another powerful question that I always ask, how can I blank? how can I make more money? Oh, I could double my prices. I could do one more speech a month. I could do X, Y, Z, right? I could ask my boss for a raise. I could go get a side job. I could, right? And there's always ways. When you ask yourself, how can I? The ideas just start flowing. So I think that it's really powerful that all areas of our life, um, the same stuff comes up. And I think that there's a beautiful opportunity to like really introspectively look at that and ask yourself like, what if I could have it all? And I believe that we can well said. I love that on so many levels. I think we definitely want to dive into the money aspect on the tail end because we talk about it a lot. One of the books that we read is I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And he basically talks about creating a rich life. And that doesn't always mean saving or investing all your money. So I do want to circle back to the money thing, but I'm definitely want to riff on the identity portion for a little bit that you mentioned because We recently listened to an interview with Adam Grant, the professor at UPenn, and I think there's a lot of just fascinating trade-offs and discussions around what makes up identity. Um, One of the ideas that I've been thinking a lot about is the self-perception theory. So it's like we ultimately form our identities by what we see ourselves doing and saying. And one of the things that I talk about on my coaching profile a lot is health and fitness problems aren't health and fitness problems, right? They're kind of either commitment problems or keeping your word problems or belief problems, and that kind of underlies identity. So it's definitely a big question. We definitely acknowledge there isn't like a right or wrong answer to what makes up identity. But when talking through these belief and identity type questions with your clients, how do you think about that? Is that what they're saying to themselves, what they're going out in the world and doing, like what ultimately shapes our identity and how do you coach people through making this change yeah it's really good i think it's a combination of things so like i talked about the subconscious mind forms between birth and eight years old and that's 95 our identity lies in our subconscious so 95 percent of your thoughts are subconscious only five percent are conscious meaning like we don't even like consciously think the thought like i'm really lazy it's happening on a deeper level and so um i think that a lot of that identity is shaped by the people in your life. So if you 
for example, let's talk about, this is a touchy subject, but I, I, it just is a really good example here. If you were an overweight child and you had, you know, people telling you that you're overweight, that you're whatever, like whatever people are telling you, if you were a really lazy child and you had your parents saying, you're always so lazy, you never do whatever at eight years old. It's very, very interesting. There's, there's so many identity traits. For me, I was always like the smart one, which you sometimes think that positive identities are obviously good, but in some sense, then what does that take away from? Like the trade-off of other things, or like if you're, especially for women, there's something like parents telling their kids like, oh, she's so cute. She's so pretty. I think a lot of women that I find struggle with like the insecurity of like, well, what if I am pretty, but what's behind it? And what is the, nobody sees me for anything but my looks. And I mean, there's so much behind identity, even, even positive identities which is interesting. I'm really passionate about like children and speaking to children. And I think when I have my own children, I'm going to be really aware of what I tell them, who they are, um, and make sure that it's really holistic and grounded. And obviously you can't control what they hear at school or on the news or things like that. But that's where a lot of people get these identities. I want to hear in business owners a lot. I'm not good at math because their math teacher told them they weren't good at math and they don't think that they can run their business. And then they sabotage their finances. And if they just change that identity that they're they're great at math and that they can totally handle this, then it's funny their finances completely change. So one part I think comes from what people told you about you. Friends, loved ones from a young age and continued even throughout your life, obviously our identity continues to grow. But I think those early years are really pivotal. The second thing is I think what you're telling yourself about yourself, which where does that come from? I think it's coming from what you're hearing from other people. You know, it's coming from your lack of self-belief, which probably came from other people telling you that you weren't good enough. We weren't born thinking we weren't good enough, right? We didn't come out of the womb being like, you know, I'm not good enough because I'm always crying and I'm always hungry, right? That developed at some age, falling short on something, someone telling us we weren't good enough, you know, not getting picked on the dodgeball team in gym class, like whatever it was that made you feel like you weren't good enough. And sometimes when, when you really dig at this, people have a memory, like a pivotal memory of childhood when something happened where they were told, you know, they weren't picked for something. They, they someone else was better than them, that someone said something mean to them and really formed this belief of not being good enough. So I would say much of our self-talk really comes from that too. And then I think part of it is our circumstances. So what we're actually creating in our life and our action steps, which is why I am a big advocate for taking action to sort of obviously doing all this inner work on the beliefs and to complement that, like doing physical action steps to be really uncomfortable. So like I said, I have that comfort zone challenge. And one of the things is like, for example, run a mile longer than you think you can. That challenge is there because I want to prove to everyone who's doing it, who feels like they're not good enough, that they can't do hard things that I can do hard things. And I thought in my mind that I could only run one mile and I kept going even though my legs hurt and I ran two, I have physical proof in my life now. And so we can sort of create that proof. But when we don't, the proof comes from, well, I got a D in my math class, so I'm not good at math. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me, so I'm crappy at relationships and X, Y, Z. And there's just, the list goes on and on, right? And so we use the evidence in our lives to often create our identity but it's not ultimately true. So how do we go through the identity change? So it's something interesting in your brain that happens when you try to speak a new identity into existence and you feel so distanced from it that it it almost creates more lack in belief. And this is what I struggled with with you do have. Like, I'm a seven-figure CEO. Like, no, I'm not. I can't even 
I, I don't even know how I'm going to like pay my bills this month. Right. Like it just, it felt like ridiculous. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. And so I don't just say, okay, just speak the new identity into existence and then it's who you are, but it's one step at a time. So first of all, meet yourself where you are. So there's this concept that I learned from Catherine Zinkina. I took her courses on manifestation and she teaches the ladder of believability. So if you want to make a million dollars and you are like, oh my God, it would be even hard to comprehend making 10,000, start there. I could just make $10,000 in my business or whatever it is, right? If you want to be in this incredible relationship, but you can't even comprehend the fact that like you're going to go on two dates with someone because every first date sucks, like start there, right? The lowest rung on your ladder, start there. And then focus all your attention and energy on that shift. So like, I am the kind of person who goes on multiple dates with someone. I am the kind of person that can make $10,000 in my business or you can do a bridge affirmation. So I'm in the process of creating, it works really well with money. So I'm in the process of creating $10,000. I may not see it yet, but I'm taking the action steps that are gonna result in this. I'm in the process of losing 20 pounds. I might not have lost any weight yet, but I'm in the process of taking the action steps, committing to going to the gym, eating healthier foods. And so I'm in the process of creating it and start there. And then what you can do is just climb that ladder of believability to get your identity closer and closer to the identity that you want to have. And so, um, it can kind of work with anything. Like, even if you're saying like, I have the identity of I'm lazy, right? If you try to switch that to like, I'm committed and productive, they might be like, I don't feel that way. Let's say they never go to the gym ever. And they try to plan where they were going to go five days a week. And they gave up after a week because they're like, their, their brain is just so confused. It's just total identity crisis. What if they could just go once a week, right? Like, and they say like, I'm the kind of person that can, can commit to the gym once a week. Then once they do that consistently, then twice, right? And so I think it's about meeting yourself where you are and then taking physical action steps to start to change how you think of yourself. So, and it's cool because it doesn't have to be the same area of your life. So for example, with the one mile longer than you think you can and the hard things, I did that to build my confidence in my business because I thought my business was hard and I wanted to believe that I could accomplish, I could get through hard things. I could do anything I set my mind to. And so I would do really hard workouts had nothing to do with my business. But then I would go into my business and be like, damn, I can do anything. Like I just suffered through that really hard, hot yoga class. And I felt like I just had to stop and I kept going. And that is inside of me and I'm the same me. And because our life is not in boxes, I could transfer that energy. So it doesn't even have to be in that same area of your life. It can be anything. And that's why I talked about those those identity traits are so powerful. If you have it in one area of your life, you really can transfer it. And then the self-talk obviously matters. So I believe in changing your language is an easy way to change your thoughts because I, I have found personally changing your thoughts is hard because so many of them are subconscious. You don't even know you're thinking them, but changing your language is really obvious because you speak things out loud to other people. Even not even the self-talk, that feels hard too, but at least self-talk is really just thoughts unless you're talking to yourself, which I mean, I talk to myself sometimes, but typically most people don't, right? It's talking to other people. So when I was doing the money mindset work, for example, I made a list, I call it the no list. It's in my book. Um, and there's other things than just money in the no list in my book. But for the purpose of this example, there were words like, I was never gonna say the word expensive. I was never gonna say the word, um, I can't think of what the other ones are at the top of my head, but there were a bunch about money that I wasn't going to say. It's so funny. I can't think of them. It's because it's not even in my identity to like say them, which is so weird how identity work works. So for example, with expensive, I would hear myself say it. I'd be like, oh, I remember this example so vividly. Uh, we were at the Jersey Shore and anyone who knows like any really beach town, probably they hike up the prices of sunscreen. 
And I like the spray sunscreen. It's 10 times easier. I'm not putting on the lotion. It's not worth it to me. That's my rich life is to spray the spray. Um, I also <laughs> read, I want to you to be rich. And uh, so we're, we're at the, like on the boardwalk and the spray is like $25 for a can. And at Target at home, it's like five. I'm like, oh my God, that's so expensive. We can't buy that. It's $25. Like, do I have $25 in my wallet? Yes. Like, are we going to be able to pay our bills if we spend $25? Like, yes. So interesting to me that my brain immediately went too expensive. So I will hear myself say it out loud. And then I would, I would re- reword my sentence. So I would say, I would think about it. I would like, and if I'm with someone who knows I'm on this personal development journey, like for example, my fiance, he would just kind of like, let me do my thing. Other people might be like, what is she doing? Well, I really don't care. So I will say this sunscreen is really luxurious. It is very like high-end sunscreen. I love the spray. It is worth every penny to pay for the spray. And also rub the lotion on it. I just feel like it's just, it's it's my luxury life. I love it. I'm all about the spray and I can't wait to spend this $25 on it, right? So there's ways to communicate the point, right? There's ways to communicate what you're trying to say without saying a limiting word. Because if I say flying first class is luxurious, you're going to be like, oh, wow, Feels how's it feel in your body? Versus flying first class is expensive. It's like tight. It's like your chest gets all tight, right? And so um, I did that with money. I started changing the way I say things and speak. And I've done it with other areas of my life, like the word busy. I try not to say that. I, I don't like it. The word overwhelmed. And there's a point, right? Because sometimes it's like, I just am overwhelmed and I want to acknowledge my feelings. But I think that there's ways to acknowledge your feelings in a way that's not so limiting, So I focus a lot on identity change with language and words and thinking about, okay, if I was this person, the person who goes to the gym five days a week, the person who does these things, what types of words would I not say, but I never say start there because you'll hear yourself say them out loud and then you can, you can reframe, you can say it differently. Um, So that's something I did. And then sometimes there's like small, fun actions you can take that just kind of get your brain behind the belief that the thing you want is happening. So for example, when I wanted to be a motivational speaker. And I decided that Christmas morning that I was going to change everything in my business. I did things like, um, got highlights in my hair, bought a few speaking outfits, things that I would do if I was a speaker, they were things that were within reach for me. So I wasn't spending money. I didn't have, or doing all these crazy things, but small steps. Like I had a client who was trying to sell an online course. She never created the course. Like she was just trying to sell it first. She said, I'll sell it. And then I'll make it if people buy it. And I said, well, if you knew people were going to buy it, would you make it? And she said, yeah, she made it. And then she got a bunch of sales. So it's like, sometimes you can do things that you would do if you had the thing, the action piece just kind of adds to the fuel. So I would say the combination of the thought work and the action really helps create the shift. It sounds like you were able to cultivate a series of toolkits to almost rewire your thought process through language. Cause I do think language is so powerful, especially in the mental health space, because your words are the perception that you use to describe the world, right? So the amount of vocabulary that you have, the type of words you use, literally define your reality. You know, so I do think, I do agree with your power of words. And like I said, I feel like this is a, I feel like I'm in a mastermind business course through you. I feel pumped, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. But obviously there's a lot of life coaches out there and every coach uses different toolkits and different style. I'm wondering, since we've been talking about your identity of work with your clients what is the type of coaching style that you identify with and what is the coaching style you use with your clients yeah i feel like it's just individualized to whatever they need and i think one of my skill sets and why i think i'm meant to be a coach is feeling people's energy 
and where they're at. I think meeting people where they're at is the biggest thing in the whole world because if you don't, they shut down. They literally shut down and they will not make the changes, right? And so I even employ this before I start working with someone. So when I do a consultation call, it's just a free call. We talk about what are your goals? What are your challenges? I share about coaching, how it can help, what my packages are, the whole thing. And I do this process where I'll explain to them, okay, here's where you are. Here's where I think you can be. Here's how I foresee you getting there. And I ask them like, does that resonate with you? Does this seem like something you think is possible for you? If they say no, it's a lost hope. I either have to come up with a process that they believe can work. Even if it's, even if I know my process works, if they don't believe it's going to work, it won't work for them. That's the thing. Like our beliefs create literally everything. And so for me, I see my role is like being able to understand where you are through the power of questions. Coaching is all about asking the right questions and then guide you one step at a time towards expanding your box, expanding your possibility, expanding your beliefs to set you up for the thing you want. And so there's lots of ways to do that. And I love learning. So I'm really committed to like constant learning and always learning new toolkits and learning new ways and new styles and that there's not one way. I'm really passionate about that. There's not one way to do things. There's not one way to get to your outcome. And sometimes I have clients that, you know, they'll get on the console call and they'll be like, I want you to tell me the strategy, you know, you have to meet them where they are, right? Because they want the strategy, but the strategy isn't the thing. And I don't want to tell them that I'm going to give them the strategy and then they feel like they're not getting what they paid for, right? And so I have to be transparent and say, I can't give you the strategy. I can. I can tell you exactly what I did, but it's not going to work for you unless you have these 17 other things figured out, right, in your brain. If you're self-sabotaging the strategy, the strategy means nothing. If you don't believe the strategy is going to work, the strategy means nothing, right? So... It's really interesting to me, um, but I'll share like a few of the tools that I use consistently because I think that they're self-coaching tools as well. So I love coaching. I would love to work with anyone who's listening, who wants a coach, but at the same time, if you just want to self-coach yourself, these tools can really help. And I always want like anything I, you know, share on a podcast or anything to be helpful for anyone. So a few tools that I think you can use in your daily life. First one, what's working? What's going well? I start every single call with this question. Uh, my clients often prep because they know I'm going to ask them that. So sometimes I have a list in front of them of things that have gone well in the past week. Get your brain into a different state. If you're focusing on what's not working, you're always going to focus on what's not working. That question literally changed my life is the reason I am here today. Because back in 2018, when nothing was working, I read it in a book. I don't remember what book, but it said, you know, what is working? And at first, here's the crazy part. My brain immediately went to nothing is working. Nothing is working, right? Our brains try to tell us that it's not true. You can always find things that are working. And so I forced myself, well, really look at it. And I realized one of the things that was working for me was speaking because I have been traveling to different colleges, sharing my story of struggling with an eating disorder in college to promote this app I was building. And while the app failed, I had so many women who had heard me speak, follow me on Instagram, send me these messages about how my talk really helped them. And I realized that was working. And so that's how I came up with this whole idea for motivational speaking. So when we wrap our brains around what's working, one, it just sets us in a different state to see things differently, to be more open to coaching, to be more open to making perspective shifts, taking action. We're feeling better. We raise our vibration literally by asking that question. You can raise your vibration, I think, in 18 seconds. Abraham Hicks talks about that. So like you can feel good for 18 seconds. It can be anything. You could listen to a happy song that you love for 18 seconds and you raise your vibration, meaning you're more magnetic. So that's why doing things that make you feel good really does matter. Even if it's five deep breaths, it makes a big difference. Asking yourself the question, what is working is a great way to do that. So that's something I love doing. The other thing I will kind of say as a tool 
I'm going to use a metaphor to describe it. I want you to imagine you're driving down a road and there's, they're doing road work and there's cones everywhere. And some cones are small and they're kind of off to the side so you can swerve and go around the cone and keep driving on the road. Other cones are so big that you literally have to put your car in park, get out of the car, pick up the cone, put it on the side of the road and keep driving if you want to keep going down this road. The way that I like to think about coaching is that it's important to solve the cones that are blocking the road first. So people are always like, where do we start? And sometimes people want me to tell them, okay, if I'm working you for you six months, tell me what every session is going to be for six months. I say, it's going to be defined by your cones. And they're like, what? And I explain the metaphor and it's like, you got to solve the really big cone first. So how this applies to self-coaching is like, if you feel like, man, Jacqueline, you talked about so much. I have so much personal development to do. First thing, stop shaming yourself. If you're approaching personal development with shame, you are hurting yourself more than you're helping yourself. You are exactly where you're meant to be. Exactly where you are today has all the lessons you've needed to learn. You're in the perfect place. So just breathe into it. There's nothing wrong with you. This is an amazing place that you're in. And the fact that you want to grow is also really amazing. Let's say you're, you're really going through something in your career, in your relationship or whatever it is. You got to solve that cone first, right? The little cones, they can wait. So I think it's a really good way to think about like, where do I start? Start with the thing that comes to your mind the most. That's really all consuming for you and work through that thing first. And then once you do, as you drive, Sometimes the cone wasn't even there two minutes ago and it gets dropped right from the sky. Other times the cone shrinks and moves to the side, right? Like it's flexible, it's personal. I ask my clients questions to try to figure out like, what are the cones? Like, what is the thing that's bothering you the most? What is the biggest challenge you faced in the past week? What's the thing that your mind keeps going back to? They usually know right away what it is, right? So I would say that's a really good tool. And then I would say the last tool I use a lot is like affirmations in real time. So not just like write them down in the morning, but really in daily life, when something happens that you don't like, that feels not good, I have like affirmations all over my wall. So that all the beliefs I want to hold, I literally have these giant whiteboard sticky notes that I bought on Amazon for like $30. I cut them in squares. I put them all over my walls and I just write all the beliefs I want to have, the beliefs that this version of me I want to be. And then whenever I'm in like my daily life or whenever I'm working with a client on something, that kind of comes up for them and feels hard and is holding them back. We go back to those beliefs, saying it out loud, saying it to yourself, saying it throughout your day and really reminding yourself of, I think that we can choose beliefs. There's obviously a lot of subconscious inner work that needs to be done. There's a lot of different ways to rewire your brain, but also deciding that I get to consciously choose. I get to choose not to self-tabotize. I get to choose to believe that it can be easy. I get to choose to believe this, right? And combining that choice with obviously the deeper levels of work, I think is another powerful tool. So those three, I would say, are good places for people to kind of start and some of the places that I like to focus on. Yeah, Jacqueline, thanks for sharing. And I think you found a unique way to cultivate the toolkits that are applicable to your life. And you went ahead and went to Amazon and bought $30 worth of cards and you have displayed them all throughout your living space to remind you of the affirmations that you need, right? Uh, Would you be able to read off some of the affirmations that are maybe in front of you or the ones that are most prevalent in your life right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I change them like from time to time based on whatever I'm currently working through. So I'll share the ones that are on my walls right now. Okay. My success is inevitable and I am always on the right path. No matter how much money I spend, I always earn more. What is desired by me is destined for me. I release all resistance to attracting money. 
it is safe for me to be wildly wealthy. I am a money magnet. My business allows me to live the life I desire. I choose to live a rich life. I am worthy of all the richness I desire. I am so deeply grateful for everything I've created in my life. I am worthy and deserving of massive compensation for my highly impactful work. I allow others to be responsible for their own thoughts, words, actions, and results. It gets to be fun. It gets to be easy. Let it flow, take inspired action, and serve. So that's what I currently have all over my walls right now, but it changes from time to time. A lot of those are about money mindset and um, just like how I want to run my business. And so those have been like prevalent themes for me recently. Right now, your affirmations are central around money mindset because you've been going through some vulnerable moments, how to maintain a healthy relationship with money. Right? Because at the end of the day, like the book Ada mentioned with Remini Sethi, it's not really about physically making you rich. It's about rewiring your perception of money to have a healthy relationship so that when you do obtain that wealth that you desire, you're not self-sabotaging like you've alluded to before. Would you be able to like elaborate further of some of the struggles you've experienced and why you felt the need to affirm yourself about the list of amazing things you just shared with everyone? Yeah, so I'll take you back a little bit of my money mindset. So in the beginning, it was all about the hard work stuff, which we talked about. And for a while, I felt zero uh, negative feelings around like making money, having money, because at the time it was just like, I want to make enough money to like pay my bills, you know, to live a comfortable life. And then what started happening was I started making more and more and more, and it was like more than enough. And then that's a whole nother challenge. And so that's like a lot of what I've been working through, feeling worthy and deserving. And for me, it came up during the pandemic because I'm very, very, very empathetic. And I just saw so many people like having, going through horrible things. And I started to ask myself, like, why me? Like, why am I thriving? And someone else is like the single mom who can't feed her children. Then what I would do in my brain was like, try to give all of my money away. And I'm a big believer that money can do good in the world and that um, it is a beautiful responsibility to have wealth and to be able to share it with others. But I think it's complete self-sabotage to give all of your money away, right? Like part of the reason I want to build wealth is for my family and for future generations in my family. And, you know, to give it all away would be a disservice to my ancestors that immigrated to the United States, you know, with no money to give me a better life. And then I give it all away, right? And so I'm a big believer in like holding on to our money as well as doing good with it, living your life to the fullest and enjoying it and all these things, right? And so I realized that I couldn't get behind like having money. I could get behind making more, but then I would just spend it all, whether it was in my business or in my personal life. I, I was having a really hard time around like being a home for money and being able to keep it and appreciate it. And so I did a lot of work around worthiness. And I asked myself, like, if this was someone else, and I would think of like a random friend who was making X dollars, would I think that they were um, worthy and deserving? And I was like, of course. Like anyone I love, I'd be like, they're worthy and deserving of millions of dollars. Like, of course. And then I asked myself, like, what determines our worthiness? And I believe that we were all born worthy, right? Like God didn't decide Jacqueline's worthy. This person isn't, right? We're all worthy and we have free will to create what we want in our life. And some people are dealt worse cards, right? I have a lot of privileges that I'm aware of. 
but at the end of the day, nobody can control the past. Nobody can control the cards we were dealt, but we can control the future. And so you know, I feel that obligated to live my life to the fullest potential. It's, it's my duty to, you know, the person that I was born as it's my duty to reach the fullest heights. And like I said, I believe that money can be a tool for so much good in the world, as well as like, you deserve to enjoy your life, to live your best life, to have fun times, to make amazing memories. Right. And a lot of times those things can cost money like traveling and, you know, going wonderful places and seeing the world and doing all these things. Like money is a tool for that. And so, and money is a tool for good. One of my biggest money motivators is giving to people. So like my favorite thing in the world is leaving like a huge tip at a restaurant to just like an average server that's not expecting it. Or like tipping is my favorite thing ever. I take out all this cash and I just throw tips and like obnoxious amounts. And it's so fun. I love doing that. Um, and so there's lots of things about money that light me up and I know I'm worthy and deserving, but it was hard for me to, to see other people struggling and myself thriving. And doesn't mean that I wasn't doing good and donating to different causes that were helping these struggling people, but that doesn't, that doesn't make up for the feelings. Right. And so I had to do a lot of inner work around, I am worthy. It's safe for me. I get to be the example of what's possible. So I am of the very rare belief that there's enough money in the whole world and more is printed every single day for everyone to be financially free. Like, I don't think there needs to be poverty and I, I'm not the sole handed person to be able to solve it. There's a lot of systemic issues, racial issues. It's not just, you know, that it's possible, but I think the fact that it's possible is step one. It is my duty to share the inner work that I've done around money to help people. Because if I can help even just one more person like struggle less with money, then I feel like I'm doing a good job. You know, like I'm making a difference in the world. I heard a statistic recently that if married couples had just $500 more of disposable income per month, there would be like significantly less divorces um, since money is the number one cause of divorce. So like hearing things like that, it's just like, wow, it's my job to show what's possible. So like I'm committed to being as financially successful as I can be. That's of course in alignment with my values and with the life I want to live. Like, you know, because I believe we can have it all. Like I want to make lots of money and have lots of free time and do lots of good in the world and right. And so, and I believe we can do all those things. And so that's kind of my, my checklist when I'm like looking at opportunities or um, making decisions in my business. So that's kind of the money mindset work I've been doing recently. But before that I did a lot of money mindset work around, you know, past stories of it's hard to make money and you have to work a lot of hours and all of that. And so then happened as I started making money and then there's, there's more challenges. And I think that at every new level of success, there's more beliefs that we have to work through. And so that's kind of been my current, uh, working through so that I don't self-sabotage because I alluded to this earlier, but I have self-sabotage in the past when I had my highest income month in business, like I couldn't get anywhere near it for like over a year. And I thought that there was just like something wrong with my business, but I just couldn't comprehend that like that amount of money was just too big for me to believe. And then I had the limiting belief that it was a fluke or that I got lucky. And so an another thing that helps like overcome self-sabotage is to believe that like you create your success. So like, while I think things come to me and I attract opportunities and I, I really do feel like a lot of times like things just land in my lap. I created that, I attracted that thing through my mindset, through my commitment, through my action steps. And so really going back to that and knowing like, 
I can create anything and everything I've already created is a result of me and not just luck. I co-create with God, universe, whatever you believe in. And we're a huge part of that. Our actions, our thoughts, our beliefs. So that's kind of my work around money recently and a little bit about the past. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing. It sounds like you're almost honoring or celebrating the sacrifice that your family has given in generations prior. Like you alluded to, I owe it to myself. I owe it to them to live life to the fullest, to give back. I think that's a really, I guess, empowering mindset that I think applies to almost everybody. Like all of our families have given up so much to live the lives that we're living currently. It almost is a responsibility to take as much ownership over that process as possible. And then similarly, that's kind of like the past looking perspective, but then in the forward looking perspective, your mindset on money that you're speaking to is expanding the box for other people, right? Like other people that might come up against self-sabotage or unworthiness, seeing you work through those things and how you actually change the perspective around them is showing them that a it's a totally normal and human thing to do and then also how to tangibly move through that which i think is just an incredible both past looking and forward looking perspective around money and from the way you're talking about it i almost sense a like spiritual undertone of money which i'm personally fascinated with because it's a bit contrary to a lot of the academic schooling I've seen. Like I went to school, did a master's in accounting and now work in corporate finance. And it's very, you know, what is EBITDA? How much depreciation do you have? Like all just like very textbook money type things. But you're talking about it in a attraction. Are you receiving or denying money coming into your life? Like how do you think about the balance and the connection between spirituality and financial success? I think it's like a hundred thousand percent correlated and that's why I think it's so beautiful. It's abundant, right? There's so much money out there in the world. It's abundant just like nature is. And I, I think that God universe wouldn't put it on the earth if we weren't meant to have it and enjoy it and live our lives to the fullest, right? Like I think everyone would agree that like whatever they believe in, even your own higher self or, you know, whatever you want to call it, most people would agree that like, a part of life's purpose is to be happy and enjoy your life and money is a tool for that. Um, and so I think it goes back to like, where does money come from? And I've done a lot of work on really getting behind the belief that like money is energy and money is attracted to me based on my vibration or frequency that I'm vibrating at, which is a result of my feelings. And so like money comes from feeling good, which is why I say the spa day thing earlier, like money comes to me when I feel good, do good in the world, right? Like any any good I'm putting out, whether it's I'm helping others, I'm creating value, like people who are very textbook based, the more value you create, the more money you make, right? Like people pay me more money when I change their life more, right? Like they wanna keep working with me, they want to um, hire me for more things, right? And so like there's a value exchange, obviously, but very like spiritual based, I just see it as money finds its way to me the greater frequency I vibrate at. So the more that I feel good, the more that I do good and put good energy out there, the more it finds its way to me. And I think that people get stuck here because they're like, okay, but does that mean I don't have to take action? No, here's, here's how action works. Action is absolutely required because it's impossible. Like there's only so many ways that money can come to you, right? Like sure, you can get a random check in the mail, but there's only so many different ways and avenues that it can flow to you. And if you take no action and you sit in your bedroom and meditate, 
and that's all you do, it probably won't be coming to you. And it's funny, but like, I think that's the, you laugh because you're in this world. But I, I genuinely think a lot of people who don't know anything about spirituality, manifestation, law of attraction, think that that's what I talk about. They think like Jacqueline's real out there. She meditates in her bed all day long and money lands in her lap and that's never going to happen for me. Right. It's not like that at all. And I don't, I think that not as much action as you maybe think is required is required, but I have a really interesting perspective on action that came from experience. And basically I take massive, massive action and it's not the 12 hour days action, but I really, I'm a sprinter. I'm a hustler. I go, go, go. I love taking action. And the reason is because action creates my belief. So for example, if I am like, okay, I'm manifesting a speaking gig and I apply to 50 speaking engagements, I get this belief in my head, like it's inevitable. At least one of these people is going to want to hire me because I applied to 50. And then what the weird thing that happens is so often all 50 ignore me and I get a random email from a person that says, I found you on LinkedIn. I want to hire you for this summit. Can we get on a call? And I'm like, what the heck? But it's my belief that attracted that. So belief is like the highest frequency, self-belief. If you can believe something is inevitable, you will have it. If you fully, fully, fully believe it's inevitable. And any kind of good feelings are on that scale. Gabby Bernstein actually has a scale that she talks about in her book. I think she originally got it from Abraham Hicks. Maybe it's like the emotional guidance scale or something. You can Google it and it's like all the feelings and what vibration they're actually at highest to lowest. And the highest is obviously like joy, confidence, like all these positive feelings. I think the lowest is like fear, desperation, things like that. And there's like a range. So she teaches that because actually if you're in a really low state, Instead of jumping to a high state, the easiest way is to climb it one step at a time, just like that ladder of believability. So instead of going from like fear to I'm confident, what about fear to like acceptance? And that's like a huge step. And then you can climb your ladder. So anyways, just to kind of summarize this, I guess I see money as just something like a math equation that comes to you when you have a certain frequency. And, and why I love that is because I don't feel attached to money because I used to have this big fear and this came from that high income month and then the self-sabotage that like, well, if I make a lot of money, I'm scared. Cause what if I, what if I either lose it all or can't make it again? But when I've really leaned into the belief that money comes from my frequency and as long as I'm taking action, the opportunities are going to come to me, then I can create it any day. If I lost everything tomorrow or if I lose everything tomorrow, not that it will be easy cakewalk. It's obviously absolutely awful to lose everything, but I know I could recreate it. I have my own self-confidence and my belief in where money actually comes from, which is interesting. Um, and it's, it's identity. So it all goes back to the same thing. Like my friend who just left her corporate job, I was telling her like, yeah, well you have that identity that you make X dollars a year. Just hold that into your business now. And if she truly holds on to it, she'll make that amount of money. Like that's, it's just science. It's just how it works. So it's, it's a lot about receiving and allowing and yeah, I see money as incredibly spiritual. And here's the great thing about it. If money is so spiritual and the people who make a lot of money are these spiritually evolved people that feel good, do good, they're going to do good with their money. And so we're going to be able to improve the whole world in so many different ways and help so many people. And so another thing about money, if you're like, well, money is greedy and money is bad is like, let's say there's a million dollars on the table. You can take it or someone who is, there are bad people. Let's just, and I don't know why there are bad people or, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but there are some people in the world who don't have good intentions. Unfortunately, they're few and far between. And I love to focus on the good people, but they exist. And if there's a million dollars on the table, like I can take it and I know I'm going to be leaving these big tips and I'm, you know, doing good for my family and like really being a good home for this money and honoring it. 
and someone else might take it and use it in some negative way. Well, I want it, right? And so like my encouragement to people who believe in good and maybe have this connotation from society that money's bad, well, what if you could be the home for it and do good with it? And um, I think that's really inspiring. And again, I think the, the line that you have to teeter that I want to point out is to not only go for money to just give it all away, right? Because money can be a service to your life, your family, in your community, right? Like even just by making a lot of money in, in the town I live in, like I pay a lot of taxes to this town for income tax and that paves our roads. That does, right? Like there's so much good that's done from you making money. I hire people. I employ people. I have a team. Um, like there's so many good things. So I think it's very spiritual and I think it's a beautiful thing to embark on if you feel called to. And, and I would argue that most people want more money. They just maybe have a lot of blocks around it to work through. Um, but if they see money as neutral, which is actually how I see it, I see it as a tool for good, but it's a neutral tool that can be used for good or bad. So that justifies why some people use it for bad. A metaphor I heard before that really helps um, make it tangible. It's like a knife. So a knife can be used to murder someone or a knife can be used to make an amazing dinner for your family. And so it can be used for, it's just this neutral tool. And so it doesn't make you good or bad. You can use it for whatever you want to use it for. And uh, money amplifies what you already are. That's another belief I have. So if I'm already happy and generous and loving, I'm going to be even more happy and even more generous and even more loving with money. And someone else who is already greedy and bitter and angry is going to be even more greedy, bitter, and angry. And so it's important to do your personal development now. And one of the things Tony Robbins always says is like, if you can't give you know, a dollar out of a hundred, how are you going to give, you know, a hundred thousand out of a million? And I love that motto. I've always focused on like, how can I be the person I want to be now? And that's be to have. And that's also helped me then attract that money. So it all kind of ties together with everything we've already been talking about uh, with money too. Yeah. I think it's important for the listeners to, of course, take away from your transformational mindset towards money, but everything's nuances, right? Like we're not saying that everything's black and white. We're not saying that money is good or bad. It's about the nuances. It's about does it service you or does it disservices you, which obviously is the attributable factors to your mindset. And just listening to your storytelling about you can't just meditate all day on your bed and then wealth just drops into your lap. Like that's obviously unrealistic. And I, I want to make a pretty funny example of that is, have you guys heard of the term wallflowers uh, for mm -hmm. guys? Uh, maybe like perks of being a wallflower, like the book is someone who like kind of stands in the corner and yes. So yes, but the wallflowers are more commonly used in the, like, the clubbing scenes. So okay. if you go to any nightclub, any dance club, you always see a strip of guys with <laughs> some sort of a whiskey drink in their hands, sipping, like acting like they're cool and they lean against the wall and they wait for the woman to approach them because they put themselves on a pedestal. And also to them, it's better to avoid rejections like you can't get rejected if you don't try right they put themselves on a pedestal for so long they genuinely believe that girls will approach them and dance with them and all they have to do is lean against the wall i had a friend like that who uh, was a wallflower because he was tall he was uh according to objective standards he was a good looking guy confident and i told him there's women in this world who don't find brad pitt attractive and you ain't no brad pitt my friend so if some people don't find brad pitt attractive 
do you genuinely be, believe the girl's gonna come up to you and dance with you and all you gotta do is just stand there? Like, that's not realistic, right? You still gotta initiate, you still gotta action, you know? Um, so I thought that was a funny example to bring your message home for the people that doesn't matter about your beliefs, doesn't matter how spiritually woke you are, you still gotta do the action. And that is the default that we're saying, like everything we're discussing on the episode, everything Jacqueline explains is on the high level mindset level, but action is always a default setting. That's a given, that's a baseline. So I want to make sure people don't take away the wrong idea from this episode. And I do have a question for you. And I want to press you on that a little bit because one of the affirmations you talked about with the money is you are the creator of your outcome. And you owe it to yourself because you created this wealth. You created the circumstances that you're struggling with right now because of the abundance of money. How do you separate that from like, how do you avoid putting yourself on a pedestal? Because when you think about I created all my source of outcome, I think inevitably so a lot of people like me who are more prone to arrogance, I would almost subconsciously translate that as, oh, I did everything. So I deserve everything. It is all my work. It is all me. So how would you advise people to separate that or to walk that fine line? And what have you used in your life to make sure you're not falling to that dangerous um, zone of um, self-centered and self-arrogance? This is a really good question. So I have two things here. The first thing is, you know, whenever I'm talking to someone, whether it be a client, a friend, who's not where they want to be, and and I kind of think like, oh, I know the money, that's limiting belief, that's limiting belief, right? Like I start noticing all these things and thinking, oh, all these ways I can help them. The first thing I tell myself is I'm no different than them and I'm no better than them just because I have different beliefs. And I think that that's like a really important factor in, in being judgment-free. And that's something like I pride myself on. We talked about this a bit before we were recording, but judgment is a reflection of the person doing the judging. And if you believe that, that means that you need to let go of your judgments of other people. And so I've done a lot of inner work on like not judging others and um, just being more open. And I think reminding myself that just because I have different beliefs than them, like I'm no better than they are. And, and I, I like to adapt the belief that everyone is doing the best they can with the beliefs they have. And, and when I see that, I feel, um, I feel equal to all humans. Like just because if someone has more money or if someone has more anything, it doesn't make them any better. We're all just humans at our core and like we could lose everything tomorrow that we've created, but it's, it's who we are as a being that matters. And I really believe that. And I literally will remind myself if I, if I feel like, well, I can solve all your problems or I can help you. And it's funny because that's what you're supposed to do as a coach. Right. And this is another thing that was into sell us to human. Uh, the author talks about how like when you're selling, so the concept of the book, just for the premise of this is like everyone sells all the time, even if you're not in a sales job or you have a business, like you're, you might be selling your kid. It's time to go to bed selling your, you know, significant other. Can you do the dishes? Like you're always selling someone on something. You're selling your coworkers to get behind you on this project. Right. And that's the whole concept of the book and how like it's our human nature actually. And so one of the ways that um, the author talks about to sell is to sort of like reduce your pedestal and make them make you under the person, right? Like you're servicing them. So like when I'm a, when I'm coaching someone, I'm servicing them and I feel like I'm almost like below them or at least equal with them. And so I think that affirmation of like, I'm no better than anyone else because I have done X, Y, Z or cause I know X, Y, Z. In fact, like I can help them. And that makes me, and the best way to help someone is be equal with them. And we're all just humans at our core. So that's a reminder. I just always tell myself, um, I remember my dad used to tell me as I started to grow my business, remember, even the most successful people in the world have to put their own pants on every day. And I always thought that was really funny. Like we're all just humans. And, and it's actually really cool because as I, as I create more success, 
and I think I'll feel differently and then I don't. And then my brain's the same, same brain that freaks out and self-sabotages and has fears. I remind myself, oh, I'm just human, just like everyone else. And it's that law of oneness we talked about where, where we're all one, right? We're all so interconnected at our core. And so I think that's really powerful. So just kind of reminding yourself of those beliefs is important. That being said, I also believe in this might push you because you said you're prone to arrogance. But I believe that it's impossible to be overly confident from a place of genuine confidence. Anytime I've been arrogant in my own life, it's come from insecurity. I've had to show off something because I didn't believe it. I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel like I was good enough. Whether it be, you know, with my business, I had to brag about X, Y, Z that I was doing because so many people had criticized my business and I wanted to prove to them. Like that was insecurity. And um, I learned this really visually when I was at Jack Canfield's conference, One Day to Greatness. He brought a woman on stage and he asked her what color hair she had and she had brown hair. It was very obvious. And he said, great. And he said, how would you feel if I said you had green hair? And she said, I would feel fine. And he was like, would you be offended? And she's like, no. And he said, why? And she said, because I have brown hair. And he said, so how confident are you that you have brown hair? She said, 100% confident. (laughs) Cool. And so then he said, are you a mom? And she said, yes. And he said, are you a good mom? She said, yes. And he said, how would you feel if I said you're a bad mom? She said, I would feel angry. I would feel defensive. And he said, well, how confident are you that you're a good mom? She said 95%. So that missing 5% is what created the defensiveness, which would have usually been the thing that comes out in like arrogance, right? And so whenever I feel arrogant, I ask myself, where am I lacking self-belief? And I work on it and I'm not perfect. And I still lack self-belief sometimes. And I still feel that need to prove myself or get defensive sometimes. But I'm really committed to like, what, what if I could really, really accept myself for who I am and love myself and believe in myself and not have to feel that way? Um, and so and whenever someone is arrogant to me, I don't take offense to it. I feel sad for them and kind of send them a prayer of, you know, love and that they can build their own self-belief. So I'm curious to hear from you because you feel like you have had periods of arrogance before. Like, would you agree with that? It's kind of just a theory I have on my own. Um, so I'm just curious. Yeah, I did not expect to be put under the spotlight. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, I've never, that's a really good question. I've never thought about that. So I think, yes, 100%. So if I were to really be honest with myself and dig deep into my soul, uh, I think a lot of my confidence stems from my look, right? Because I know I'm attractive. I know I'm given a certain amount of physical assets and I'm, I know I'm smart. But however, I don't. I never feel arrogance due to my intelligence because I think that what separates me from a lot of people isn't my natural bone, uh, natural born IQ. Uh, EQ plays a role, but it's more about the growth mindset, which is the reason why Aiden and I myself started this podcast, right? And I could feel myself getting smarter every day through continuous curious journey, through asking more questions, through talking to brilliant people like you on a weekly basis, right? So I don't attach my arrogance or confidence to my intelligence because I know that's, that's a process. Right. I was not as this curious in college, definitely not as this curious in high school. So the more I read, the wider my horizon becomes, the more self-aware I become. So it's not about the intelligence aspect, but with the good looks, that's something I often ask myself. If I were to get into a car accident, severe car accident, and I lose an eye or I have the severe scars on my face, it's irreparable. Right. In theory, how would I feel? And I think the answer I got was I will feel devastated. And I would no longer carry that confident energy that people always affirm me with, right? Because like you talked about, 
95% that I'm confident because I know who I am as a person on a fundamental level. But maybe that 5 to 10% is because I do associate the validation from external forces. Like when girls tell me, oh, you're good looking or because I've hooked up with X amount of girls or because I've known my pattern in the past that I could get this girl, I could talk to this person, I could talk to anyone due to my personality trait. So like the conference you talked about, if I'm truly confident about who I am holistically, as confident I'm about my hair, my I have black hair, right? So it doesn't matter if you tell me I have purple hair, red hair, I'm 100% confident I have black hair. Uh, I definitely have to process this more, but I definitely don't have that level of confidence about my identity on a holistic level, the way I view about my hair color. And I definitely have that 5 to 10% deficiency that I should probably still work on and try to detach myself from external validations of what I look like. I mean, especially I have a girlfriend now, right? So I don't really have to try, try as hard and stuff. And obviously work together because on a more compatible level, just beyond transcends the just chemical aspect, the chemistry aspect. Yeah, that's a really great question. I, I do think that my prone to arrogance is the evidence that I haven't truly achieved that 100% self-confidence from my core of who I am, the being aspect. Because B2 have my confidence of like who I am, what my looks are based on do, right? Because I did get girls, because I did well on a test, because I did get a good job. So I definitely should uh, see this as opportunity through your intentional question about shift from my doing, shift my attachment of confidence from doing to being more. But uh, I think your theory is definitely uh, valid. I see a lot of truth in that theory. Thanks for sharing. Uh, It's so interesting to me, the question you said about like, because your confidence was in the looks, I feel like for women, uh, it's usually the opposite. Like we're so self-critical. And so like my journey was opposite, like actually just accepting who I am, my body, I struggled with an eating disorder. Like that acceptance of that was so hard for me. So it's like almost like the opposite of yours, but it also created arrogance because if I was insecure about the way I looked, I would wear like, you know, certain types of clothes. So I would get more attention so that I would feel more secure. But really the work that I had to do was just accept myself, love myself for exactly the way I look. So it's so interesting the way like, the physical appearance thing can come from both ends of the spectrum, um, but still be the same way it externally manifests, which is like arrogance or seeking validation. So thank you for sharing. That's really interesting to me. Definitely. I think this gap that we're talking about uh, is kind of the underpinning of all decisions and kind of how all actions come into being. For myself, it was similar to Jacqueline's story of like that unworthiness or not feeling enough in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that came to came to me by growing up overweight. I never had a lot of confidence as a child. Um, so really like leaning into embodying that new identity of being fit, of being enough, of having confidence in certain things. But I think the, I guess, commonality that we're all seeing in all of our stories is that this confidence is kind of like an ebb and flow in so many different areas of our life. Like I personally know that I am hardworking. Like if you told me I wasn't hardworking, it'd be like that lady that you told the hair was green, you know, like I'm certain in that level of confidence, but in other areas of my life, I'm not as confident, you know? So I think that's a really important thing to undershadow that this confidence can kind of ebb and flow in all sorts of different areas. And I think that gap of, you know, that 5%, that lady was a good mom, or this arrogance that we're kind of alluding to, um, really illustrates 
almost the thesis of your TED talk of the importance of having courage, of raising that gap, of leaning into that incremental where we are and where the belief needs to be and ultimately overcoming fear. Because I think fear and self-doubt is the biggest inhibitor or resistance around accomplishing our goals and getting really things done. So I think you know, having someone who gave a TED talk on building courage and moving through these limiting beliefs, how do you think about employing that gap kind of commonalities of all of our stories, but I think they all resonate or all reflect that idea of building confidence through doing hard things, which ultimately, first and foremost, requires courage. Yeah, I love this. I'm so glad you tied it because I would have never thought of that. And it's actually a big realization for me because when we think about closing that gap of the 95% to the 100%, I think what our brain goes to, or at least my brain naturally goes to, I don't know about you guys, but probably, I assume this is kind of a human thing, is that to be 100% confident, it means that I don't have any fear. But that's what my whole TEDx is about, that the fear never goes away. The definition of courage, if you look up the definition word for word, it's, a, it's about acting in spite of fear. So the fear's there, but you take action anyway. And so it sort of alludes to the fact that like these voices in our head, these, these limiting beliefs, these fears, they might not ever fully go away. These feelings of not good enough, right? They might not ever be nothing. But why I love that is because it makes us feel like nothing's wrong with us because we have those fears. And just because we have them, it means nothing about our success or our results. And our courage doesn't have to be dependent on it. So for those of you listening, my TEDx, the sort of theme of it is this, this concept I've created called the courage equation to kind of just break down some of the things we've already been talking about and make it really simple. So the courage equation is courage equals belief greater than fear. So I believe that in order to have courage, all we need is to raise our self-belief to a level where it's higher than our fear. And once we do that, we will act. We will have the courage to take action. We will have the courage to put ourselves out there, to be vulnerable, to create the life we want and do all these things. And so in talking about like closing that gap, it's really just about not worrying about the insecurities, not worrying about the fear. It's okay that we have them. And when you release that, it's okay that sometimes I'm insecure about my body. It's okay that someone might be insecure about their ability to, I don't know, get a promotion or their ability to get in a certain relationship or whatever. It's okay that that's totally normal. But what's not okay is to just ignore it and not do anything about it. Where our work begins is raising our self-belief. So there's lots of ways you can do that. And like we've been talking about some of those tools. And um, I love earlier that we were talking about how, hey, there's no one size fits all and don't misinterpret this. Like there's no one way, there's no right way. Throughout this whole conversation, I hope that as a listener, you can just take what you need. Take what resonates with you. Take what you feel like is gonna really help you in your life. I have clients, I'll be like, I do this. And they'll be like, I tried it, Jacqueline didn't work. That's okay. Try this, right? We're all different. We all have different DNA. We all have different personality types. We all have different past experiences, right? We have so many things that shape us. So in whatever ways you want to begin your work of raising your self-belief, just try, just meet yourself where you are. 1% improvement in that belief. Um, the fear doesn't have to go away, but your work begins at raising that belief. And um, if you need more ideas, like feel free to reach out. I'm happy to share more. I could talk about ideas on raising belief for like hours and hours and hours. Um, but that's where I think the work really begins. There is a famous quote by Will Smith. He said that if you're, if you can get rid of fear, do it scared. 
So because courage isn't synonymous with fearless, like you talked about, you need fear. Fear is our most primal human mechanism to protect us from harm's way. So yeah, that's a, such a powerful giveaway for people. And I think that's a perfect segue into our two most common questions we ask to all our guests. If you were, I mean, you're this amazing motivation speaker, you're this amazing coach, and you've already impacted so many people through your life, and we want to translate that impact to our audiences. So if you were to create a mentorship program, what are some of the big pieces of advice you would hope to instill to the participants, the clients who chose to enroll in this mentorship program of yours? What you believe is possible for you is what you create in your life. So work on that belief. Work on expanding your belief of possibility, putting yourself in the circumstances that are bigger, that are scary. Sometimes it's it's so out of reach. Like I, I'm reading this book right now about manifesting money. And um, in it, the author, Amanda Francis, she talks about how when she was broke, she used to, and I'm not encouraging this, but I think it's an example. She used to sneak into the pools at these really luxury um, hotels and she would just sit. She would watch the people and she would put herself in a position of the things she wanted, even though she couldn't have it. And so get creative, right? Like find ways to put yourself in the room with people that are doing more. That's the power of like masterminds that we often talk about and things like and you can be in that room just by listening to someone's podcast, right? Just by reading someone's book. You don't even have to like meet them or know them, right? But keep expanding that belief of what's possible for you. That's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is trust yourself and trust that you're where you're meant to be and have faith that things are working out. If you have the faith and you're committed to your action steps, then that's all that really matters. I think commitment is the other thing that's really, really big. I heard it said really well recently on a podcast, John Astaroff, he talked about, he was on a podcast, Ashley Gordon's podcast. I think it's, it's called the Badass Manifestor podcast. And he was talking about how he, when he was 17 years old, he had like never thought about setting goals, never thought about what he wanted for his life. He met with his mentor, his brother connected him and was like, you have to meet this guy, he's awesome. And the mentor had him fill out this questionnaire of what do you want for your life? And it was like 101, you know, where do you want to live? What kind of job do you want to have? How much money do you want to make? When do you want to retire? Right? All these things you wrote down, all these goals. And then at the end, the mentor said, okay, this one question is going to determine the trajectory of your life and whether or not you achieve these goals or not. Your answer to one simple question. And you're thinking as I'm listening, I'm like, really one question. And then I heard the question and I'm like, man, it's true. He said, are you interested in these goals or are you committed to them and so powerful if you're committed and you can be committed to the big vision remember i talked about zooming out what do you really want feelings it doesn't have to be like i'm committed to i was committed to my app but it failed right and that's okay and i moved on and i got to the next place but being committed to your goals for your life commitment and belief i think it's the key i think it's if you have those two things nothing can stop you nothing can you and you got to work at it like I work on my self-belief every single day I work on it I remind myself of my power but those are the things that I would really want people if everyone could walk out into the world with clarity of their goals commitment and self-belief I just think the world would be a totally different place most definitely so well said I mean that committed and faith-based you know having faith in the expansion process I'm also noticing a lot of like intuitive movement of it. Like you notice there's not one size fits all. There isn't one way that each person should specifically go about this process, but really that intuitive movement, but most importantly, the committed movement, as you've so well said. 
And I think this brings us to our final question that we leave all of our guests with. Maybe it's you're going to take it in the belief way, but we have a two-part question with one, it's a challenge for you. If we want to encourage you to discover more about something in your life, whether or not you want to share that with the audience, that's your choice. But then on the other side, what would you encourage our listeners, our audience to discover more about in their own lives? Oh, this is good. Well, I have to. I have to participate in the challenge and share it. Um, So I have to think, what do I want to discover more about in my life? It's really interesting, like, when you've done so much personal development, like, where do you go next? It's it's really intriguing. I want to discover more joy in the process. So when I constantly set bigger goals, I naturally notice joy when it's going my way, when it's working, when I'm hitting those goals. I want to discover more joy. And it's something I have already been working on, but I I just want to recommit and and kind of take it even further. I want to have joy when nothing is working out, when it doesn't look like it's going my way. And I think that comes from faith, that either it's going to work out in the timeline I set for this goal or something better is going to work out in the future. And if I fully, if I have 100% faith, then I can lean into that joy. Given, of course, that my basic needs are met, right? Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's really important. So I want, if anyone's listening, like obviously really important to meet those basic needs. Um, and I don't want to take away from that. Once you get to that level where, okay, you have enough money to you know, pay your bills and to just function at a healthy level, I really think it's about how can you find joy today? And here's the cool thing about, I talked a lot about manifestation. Joy makes you magnetic. Joy is one of the highest frequencies. So it's so ironic that when you feel that, then you actually start achieving more of your goals. So that's what I want to discover more on and encouraging listeners to discover more on your values for your life. I think people are so confused on what they want because they don't even, they don't know their values. They don't know those, that big picture. Like they just see what other people have or what other people are chasing and they think they should want those things. And I encourage you to really think about what do you want in life? What are those values? Do you value freedom? Do you value security? Do you value family? Do you value travel? Like, because those things can start to then ask the right questions to figure out the career, to figure out what the goals should be that are going to help you meet those needs. And I think so often people get into something like, oh, I have it all on paper. I hear that a lot, but I don't have what I want. And it's often because the decisions weren't made out of values for their life they wanted. They were made out of maybe what they were told they should do or what they thought they wanted. So I would encourage you to really think about like, how do you want to feel? Um, if you want to take it further, I love doing the exercise of like an ideal day in your life. I did this a lot when I was like really stuck and I saw my business being like really free, really fun, not overwhelming, impact-based. And I saw myself really taking care of myself, treating myself, loving myself, doing a lot of good for other people. And that's the life I feel like I've already stepped into. It's mind blowing to have like a a vision that you have for so long and that you're already stepping into it. And that's what, that's how your brain works. Your reticular activating system, it filters uh, for opportunities based on the programming you give it. So visualize it. If you feel called to think about what an ideal day in your life would look like, Um, allow yourself to dream big, Allow yourself to get past those boxes and limits that you put on yourself, Um, but also don't pressure yourself. You don't have to want to be 
a multimillionaire. You don't have to want, you can want a simple life. You can want, I think that's something that's really empowering too. Like one of my clients I've worked with is a stay-at-home mom and like her biggest dream is to like just really be happy every day. And um, she sets goals in her life because goals are key to one of the key contributors to happiness. But the goal might be to like make the best, I don't know, Alfredo sauce for her pasta tonight for her family and see, you know, the kids are going to vote. Was this better than last week? And like, it's get to know yourself and what you want and why you want it and honor that and be unapologetic about it on the complete opposite end. If you want massive wealth, if you want luxury things, ask yourself why that's really important. Right. And, and the why deep down is like, if it's genuine, if it's authentic, if it's in alignment, like for example, I, I want to buy a luxury car because for me, I can't wait to drive that car and feel like I created this and I'm a powerful creator and we're all powerful creators and I can encourage others like this is a symbol of what's possible. And so, but there has to be a genuine why behind it. And the why also I should say is good enough because I want it. That's something I've been working on a lot, being unapologetic about what I want because I want it. But this goes back to the whole, like, is it arrogance? Is it, why do you want it? And so I think knowing why you want it, not to justify it to other people, but to just see if it's coming from a genuine place, be unapologetic about what you want, as long as it's in alignment and it's authentic in your heart. Even if the why is just, I want it because it feels good. That's okay. As long as it's not, I want it because I want to show off to XYZ person, right? For validation, right? Like really being honest with yourself. You don't need to justify yourself to anyone, whether, whatever your goals are. I just want to give everyone permission to want what they want in life, to go after it, to own it, and to start creating it. Today is the perfect day to take the first step, 1%. You deserve to live a life that you love. You deserve to live a life where you're excited to jump out of bed in the morning. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be fulfilled. You deserve to feel peace. You deserve it all. So whatever that is for you, whatever feels in alignment in your heart, whatever your intuition is guiding you to, trust it, honor it, and go for it. Radical honesty and that radical acceptance and giving you yourself the permission to daydream. Such powerful messages and ethos. And that was honestly a Mycroft moment and you've delivered so much value today. And I myself definitely was a beneficiary of this conversation like I've disclosed uh, before the conversation started. Um, where could people find you and where could people maybe further their self-discovery journey uh, through your work? Because like I said, everything we've discussed on today's session is only a tip of the iceberg that you have to offer. So would you please share with the audiences where they can link up with you? Yeah. So the place that I spend the most time is Instagram. And my name is Jacqueline DiGregorio, just my name. And I have a podcast called the Spark Your Light Podcast. So those are two good places to start. Great. We'll definitely link up all of the information in the show notes. And as we're coming to a close, just a huge appreciation for you for taking the time out talking with us today. We definitely both learned a lot and I'm sure the audience did as well. So thank you so much to the audience. Thank you for listening. And until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.